Hi everyone and welcome to the final episode of the ADEA podcast mini-series on person-centred care, which was sponsored by the National Diabetes Services Scheme, an initiative of the Australian Government and administered with the assistance of Diabetes Australia. My name is Jan Orford, a long-term ADEA member, and I will be your host. Today we'll be discussing the first eight of the 10 person-centred principles that relate to healthcare, and these can be found in the ADEA toolkit, which you will be able to find on the ADEA website. These principles relate to how people with diabetes and their carers perceive these principles and how we as health professionals can better work with them as a team in interpreting how these principles work in our consultations. Our guest today is Rochelle Ward, the mother of a child with type 1 diabetes. Welcome Rochelle and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. To test to set the scene, I wanted to outline the first group of um, principles that we're going to cover, if that's all right with you, Rochelle. Certainly. For, the first question, I guess, is how should we as health professionals prepare ourselves before consulting with people with diabetes and their carers? And some of the relevant uh, principles here are principle one, which focuses on the person and their goals and overall well-being, thus leading to hopefully a respectful relationship. Principle four, where we need to think about proactively outlining care options and known health care risks, access and costs. Principle five, that we should think about checking each person as understood, agrees with and can action their, their self-managed care. And principle six, which suggests we need to review outcomes and use the person's experiences needs, preferences and values as a basis for planning the next period of self-management and professional care. So having said that, Rochelle, as we've discussed, you are the mother of a child with type 1 diabetes. And I wonder if you'd like to comment on what you see are the key principles for health professionals to consider in a person-centred consultation, especially bearing these principles in mind. Yes, well, there's a, a range of um, options that that um, make it far more comfortable when we come into a, a consult and they can be very simple things by knowing our names, <laughs> reading our notes before we come come into the into the consult room, um, focusing on us and and keeping notes recordings till after after our consult, even defining what their role is in our health in our healthcare team, um, especially early on in our new diagnosis is really critical know that we perhaps come to the room with various levels of um, background knowledge and even if both parents or a parent and a carer come that we may even have two different levels of understanding just within the same consult and also if the child's there to be mindful of um, particularly when the child's there to be mindful of using appropriate uh, appropriate language um, so the child isn't worried or learns things before they're um, at an age where they can comprehend and appreciate what's being um, being communicated are really really important things to me um, and just general language that I remember one meeting we had where the the credentialed um, where the consultant 
continuously said, oh, you know what I mean, after each sentence. And, and I don't, don't remember much else apart from just that phrase being said all the time because it was like, I don't know, do I know, do I? And I, it became quite difficult to, to follow the conversation a little bit. Occasionally when, when we can go to a consult where, where we make an appointment with the assumption that we have a, a problem or a set of questions to ask, but sometimes we don't know what to ask and that's why we're, we're making an appointment when we know that something might be uncomfortable or not quite right, but we don't know, we haven't got the ability to necessarily identify exactly what to ask. So it's really important in my mind to that both partners in the health professional and person or carer with diabetes relationship are both proactive in the conversation otherwise the outcomes for the for the person with diabetes might not necessarily be beneficial in the when we're trying to ultimately um, improve the the outcome of the consult so i know one of one of our healthcare professionals always bring something fresh and new to the to the conversation it might just be something simple like oh I read, read this really interesting article about such and such new technology or new research or something to the table so then it might spark another piece of um, conversation more recently we've had pre-meeting meetings <laughs> which um, may take up a little bit more time but what we have been doing lately is having a meeting with the healthcare professional and the parent to to ascertain perhaps what the the next few goals are for the the transition through life with type 1 diabetes so so we work out the goals in one meeting and then the next meeting we'll introduce the child or into the scenario and then it becomes more of a relaxed atmosphere for everybody involved. Um, and I found that that was quite a nice little strategy, especially with young young children. And I guess with all these um, ideas in place, I know that when all those things happen, we, we become really engaged with our healthcare professional. We look forward to going back. We, it's easy to make appointments. It becomes really... <laughs> The ongoing relationship just gets better and better and that's really important to achieve the ultimate goal which is good quality, um, independent health and, and great well-being. Thanks Rochelle, that's some very insightful comments that you've given us on this particularly difficult relationship or potential to be difficult relationship between health professionals and people with diabetes and their carers. Uh, and I particularly liked your comment about um, acknowledging that, that you guys don't always necessarily know what you don't know and thus the questions that you need to ask. So thank you for that. I wanted to move on now to the next set of principles um, and, and these look at how to address and acknowledge the role of parents and carers in the health professional person with diabetes relationship. And the three main principles that are covered there are suggesting that we need to always be respectful of the person's culture and health beliefs. We need to respect their decisions about their health care and that includes both carers and family members, obviously with the person's consent. And principle seven which talks about the importance of communication with the person's other health providers to facilitate holistic care and again that's with the person's consent. 
So I guess bearing those principles in mind, what are your thoughts as to how a health professional might appreciate the role of the parent or care in these relationships in a more proactive way? Thanks, Jan. Um, I think I think it's clear that both parents and healthcare professionals really want the child with type 1 diabetes to shine and, and be the best they can be. Um, both within their relationship with diabetes and and the world <laughs> in which they they move in, and I guess the that parent carer relationship, parent carer to child relationship, is is really the most consistent relationship that the person with diabetes has. Um, we move like we move um, to different towns or cities, um, the child might transition between um, paediatric and adult care, um, both from from home life to school life. There's many, many transitions, but all through that, the, it's the parent or carer there that are advocating and supporting that child throughout each of those transitions. Um, and the way we do that, if you just look amongst parents, we all have a very, very different style that um, as you say, relates back to our our belief systems, and so I think it's really important to to acknowledge that, or not necessarily acknowledge that, but just become aware of that. That um, the child's progress through all these transitions is often or is often supported by parents, and that they're fairly knowledgeable about how their child's capacity to to adapt and to move and to know when the child's ready for any changes. I think that it's important to recognise that parents and carers are, are advocates, are strong advocates in their child's life. So um, we might not know what it literally feels like to have type 1 diabetes, but we very much have an understanding of what it's like to negotiate through life <laughs> with with um, with this condition, we're the ones who have to communicate to schools, to family members, to um, to work, to other other siblings. We have to be the advocate for that child for a very long time, depending on um, when they were diagnosed, of course. <laughs> but um, so sometimes I hear that parents don't really have a a, a position to be to be part of or that they don't really know what type 1 diabetes feels like. And I think that that's um, a little bit misleading sometimes. And and in that, it's really important to, to respect the knowledge of the parent and carer um, as well as their position. So we might know, not know the technical details behind type 1 diabetes, but we certainly know what our child and what works for them. So um, I remember being in a an emergency situation which um, well when our child first had gastro we we knew what to do to a certain extent and then when we reached the limit of our knowledge we consulted health professionals and I remember being cut out of the the conversation and I found that quite quite it just made me feel very vulnerable because I yeah I guess I wanted to learn by going to see a health professional, I wanted to learn more about how to respond to this situation should it come up again. And I also felt vulnerable right then because I didn't know what was being said and um, or if I had 
if my first initial communication with the first health professional was translated onward properly or how or if I said the wrong thing or so being cut out of the conversation was quite um, made an already tricky situation even trickier I, I felt so um, it, it would just by including us in conversation um, would just make things a lot less traumatic I guess um, and I think um, health professionals as I said sometimes we have to communicate um, our needs around type 1 diabetes beyond beyond the beyond the consult room and we have to talk to um, schools and families and whatnot and the health professional is really critical in that scenario because as a parent we might say something um, like explain the consequence of not treating a hypo but to those who's that that can come across from a parent that can come across as being um, quite dramatic whereas coming across being said by a health professional who's independent from the family um, that same message can be interpreted in a far more powerful way so it's really important for health professionals to communicate to the broader community um, as well so um, and then we also have to remember that in the parent carer and a parent carer to child relationship um, that there's often a, a family <laughs> there so we can't ever forget the beautiful little siblings that um, that are also part of that family unit sitting down to meals with um, the person with type 1 diabetes so um, we have to remember to acknowledge and think about them in in um, in the overall management of type 1 diabetes uh, look, you've raised uh, some some very pertinent points, I think, and ones that we would, as health professionals, do well to to remember. And I, I particularly liked your comments about you don't necessarily have to have diabetes to appreciate the complexities of the condition. Obviously, you're living with it every day, just like the person with diabetes. And I think the the need to appreciate the role of the health professional in, in what is a management team along with the person with diabetes. After all, that's the, the centre of what we're talking about. So thank you very much for those thoughts. The other area I wanted to address um, for a little while is around the regional ex uh, experience because, as people may know, you come from a regional area and I think there are some relevant principles here that we should consider. Um, and those include um, principle six, which talks about our need to review outcomes and use the person's experience, their needs and preferences and values as the basis for planning the next period of self-management and professional care. And I guess that's regardless of what sort of uh, environment we might be in. Uh, we've already mentioned uh, principle seven, which talks about um, the need to communicate with the person's other health providers and I think that's equally if not more important in this area where the team might be quite far flung. And I guess the last principle here is uh, that we need to be a partner with the person so that they can communicate with key people in their life to support environments that are non-discriminatory, safe and supportive and I guess the school environment which you touched on is important here. 
as I said, you live in a regional setting and I imagine there's some unique issues in achieving a person-centred relationship with your team of health professionals. And I was wondering if you could talk about that for us, please. No worries. Um, so for us, we have two, uh, two healthcare teams, one in our, in our town and, um, and a more specialised um, set of health professionals in a regional hub. So developing a rapport with two healthcare teams takes um, some time and also communicating between those two healthcare teams is is also critical and where things like telehealth would be really useful. Um, when we go to our regional hub, we do that on a three-monthly basis, um, occasionally more often, depending on what's happening, but, but mostly on a three-monthly basis. So because my husband and I are both very present in in the management of type 1 diabetes, we both go to all appointments. So that means that two of us have to take a day off work. Um, our child has a day off school. <laughs> so it's quite a big, quite a big effort to go to um, to visit our regional hub. So we, it means that we really need to get the most out of each appointment that we have, um, which we typically do. But that means that um, I guess I'm even more proactive when I have I often go with my little list of questions or issues um, when I when I see these go to these appointments so um, relating to that back to our earlier conversation and yeah so that's pretty much that bit. Jan you mentioned um, education in your question um, I found that more recently with changes in the um, in the diabetes landscape, um, that that it was increasingly difficult to um, have a educator come to our school to provide a education session at the beginning of the school year to ensure that all the staff were, all the school staff were aware of um, the, what type one diabetes is and what to do in an emergency situation and just to give the school a contact for them to um, to follow up any conversation around management of type 1 diabetes in a school setting. I think it's really, that's a really important um, component of, of preparing for school and that was really, really frustrating that um, school visits were, were limited in our in our region. So um, I guess a review of a review of what is available in different locations is really critical because it's the options for metropolitan areas differ greatly to those options available to families in regional areas. Um, and it's really again this situation about schools it's really dependent on um, the the um, previous experience of the schools and also the um, the proactiveness of the parents to make sure that education at schools happens. So I think it would be great if um, if the health professionals were able to take an even greater um, position on this stance, which which they are. So that's good to see. Um, I guess another aspect is that because we live in a 
relatively small town that um, everybody knows <laughs> who's got with such a um, unique condition everybody seems to know who has type 1 diabetes and so you're very well connected by people um, both within the town as well as the health professionals which is really lovely I remember coming out of one one appointment um, we were getting into the car when another family raced out and went, oh, you're from our town, can we swap phone numbers? And so that was um, instigated by the health professionals. So they're, they're really good at um, connecting. Well, in at my experience, they're really great at connecting um, families up so then we can create our own support system, which is, um, which is encouraged by the health professionals. So that's been, been a lovely lovely thing. Thanks Rochelle. I, I did smile to myself when you were talking about small towns and how everybody knows everything about everybody in town. Having grown up in a country town I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> and oh no it's a good it's a good thing in this particular case though because um, we all look out for each other which is great. Oh I couldn't agree more. The other thing I was going to comment on you mentioned the about telehealth and I think that is an incredibly uh, exciting area I guess hopefully in the future that can be used in terms of consultation so that those of you in country areas have the opportunity to have more meaningful uh, consultations so thank you for that. Now we've obviously covered a, a lot of information in this session and I wanted to thank you very much on behalf of our listeners for making yourself available for this podcast and, and providing us with a consumer view, if you like, um, on person-centred care. So thank you for that. But what I did want to ask you is, what, given that we have covered so much information, what would be your take-home message for our listener, listeners from today's discussion? Uh, I think the first principle that you mentioned is really important to focus on um, the person with diabetes goals and overall well-being um, and I think essential to that is a good partnership between the health professionals and the people with um, diabetes and their support um, team being families in this particular case. I recognise that type 1 Diabetes is an incredibly complex condition um, and and that's what we primarily talk about in, in consults and that sometimes it's very difficult for us to translate, families to translate that into the, the um, even greater complex life of school and work and sport and all those sort of scenarios. Um, and so sometimes we need, so yeah, so it's very, really important to um, recognise that broader context of type 1 diabetes. So uh, I think, again, a good relationship between person, people with diabetes and the healthcare teams is critical for achieving good health outcomes and even more critically, a positive environment for self-management for our loved ones. Well, thank you once again, Rochelle, for, for making yourself available for this last episode of the ADA podcast mini-series on person-centred care. And a big thank you to our listeners, not only members of ADA and health professionals who have a special interest in diabetes, diabetes care and diabetes management. So please 
thank you very much, Rochelle. We really did appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. Don't forget there are two other um, podcasts in this series on person-centred care, and I'm sure you'll get as much benefit from the content of those as you have from this one today. So please go back and have a listen to those if you haven't already done so. And we look forward to speaking with you in our next podcast series. So watch this space for future topics. Thank you and goodbye.